0: Hey everybody, welcome back. Um, Go ahead and excuse the sound of the next few of these. They're probably going to be pretty hard to understand what I'm saying. I kind of have some sinus stuff going on. But today we're going to start in Chapter 3, Cells. And this should kind of be an overview for you if you've had any kind of science in high school. It just kind of gets a little bit more complex at the end. So I'm going to start under Overview of Cells and also have my study guide out here that I might be bouncing back and forth between. But under Overview of Cells, I think the first and... Definitely going to be on the test, but the first thing that she's probably going to want you to know is that um, an ovum is the biggest cell in the body and it's only in females, it is the female sex cell. This is the ovum. Okay, I'm going to go on to page 40, and the first thing I'm seeing is differences in the size and shape of cells are related to their function. So, active cells are usually larger than inactive, and uh while cells which line surfaces that are actively involved in the movement of materials tend to be thin and flat. Okay, Um, let's see. So now I'm going to go over to composition. Every cell in the body is bathed in interstitial fluid or tissue fluid, and this is a dilute saltwater solution. So now I'm looking at my um, notes that I have printed. And I'm just going to kind of run through this pretty quickly because these chapters can get kind of lengthy. But I'm going to bounce over to parts of the cell. And there's three main parts. There's the plasma membrane, the cytoplasm, and the nucleus. So the plasma membrane is surrounding the entire cell and it forms this outer boundary. This is kind of like the gatekeeper of the cell. And the cytoplasm is all of the living material inside of the cell except the nucleus. So this kind of jelly fluid that's on the inside of the cell is living Uh, but it's not the nucleus so the way that I remember this is I had a fourth grade teacher and she had the most southern accent uh, that I had ever heard and the way that she said it to us was that the cytoplasm had a jelly-like consistency and I will never forget that so now we know what cytoplasm is you're welcome for that Um, So, the nucleus contains most of the genetic coding, and again, I'm just giving you small bits and pieces of this. I'm not going to come through and read everything because it's going to kind of, it gets confusing when they're giving you a lot of uh, stuff to go off of. So, I am going down now to plasma membrane structure. And in my notes, I have two layers of phosphate-containing lipid molecules called phospholipids form a fluid framework for the plasma membrane. And cholesterol helps to stabilize the phospholipid molecules to prevent breakage of the plasma membrane. So the whole point of this is to protect the inside of the cell. So let's see, membrane function, it's a gateway between the fluid inside of the cell and the fluid around it. And certain substances can move through it by way of transporter channels and carriers, but the bars, uh, but it bars the passage of other substances. So it's kind of a communication device. The outer surface serves as a receptor for certain other molecules when these other molecules contact proteins. So the plasma membrane also identifies the cell as being part of a single individual. And this is When it comes to tissue typing, a procedure performed where an organ from one individual is transplanted into another, carbohydrate um, chains attached to the surface of the cell will play a role in identification of the cell type. So this is where, you know, if you need a liver transplant, they're going to have to do a tissue typing kind of test before they can just pull somebody's organ out and put it into your body because if not, it's not going to work. Your body's going to start shutting down. Um, So now I'm going to roll on down to cytoplasm. This is the internal living material of cells, as we've said. Rolling on to page 42. It contains small thread-like structures that interconnect to form a cell skeleton or a cytoskeleton. And this was kind of confusing to me at first because all these words kind of sound the same. They're kind of rhyming. They kind of start the same. Um, But if you come in here and you slowly break it down, it's not so bad. So the cytoskeleton organizes and supports a group of smaller structures collectively called organelles. So this name means little organs, which is an appropriate name because they function for the cell just as organs function for the body. So now I'm actually going to be underneath the title cytoskeleton. So we're moving on to cytoskeleton. Um, the thin thread-like filaments of this framework are microfilaments, which is mentioned earlier also found in microvilli. Thicker hollow tubes contain are called microtubules and are also important components of the cytoskeleton and are involved in cell movement and division. So like the body's framework of bones and muscles, the cytoskeleton provides support and movement. They're not just stuff floating around inside of us randomly. They're being held or moved by the fibers and molecular motors of the cytoskeleton. So parts of the cytoskeleton that are pulling or pushing membranes and organelles. So this is kind of just some... Some building blocks in the cell, if you would say. They're kind of holding up the walls or helping to shift it around. Alright, so I'm gonna move over on to overview of organelles. Give me just a second I can get my paper situated. Okay, so I kind of um, ran through these. And instead of coming through all of these separate titles, really just look at the table three dash one for major cell parts. I'm just gonna go through and read that because that is literally the next um like four pages worth of information and it's just condensed down. So if you're really wanting to hit all the points, I would do that. So I'm gonna go ahead and read this table to you. Um the cell part is gonna be the different parts of the inside of the cell, and then I'm going to list the structure and I'm going to list the functions. So a plasma membrane is a phospholipid bilayer studded with proteins, and it serves as a boundary for the cell. Um, Protein and carbohydrates molecules on the outer cell of the plasma membrane perform various functions. They serve as markers to identify cells of an individual, like we said for tissue typing, as receptor molecules for certain, certain hormones or transporters to move substances through the membrane. Ribosomes are tiny particles, each made up of rRNA subunits. They synthesize proteins, and these are called the cell or protein factories in the cell. And she could have that on the test, or she might be looking for the more um, technical term. All right, so endoplasmic reticulum is a membranous network of interconnected canals and sacs, some with ribosomes attached, rough ER, and some without attachment, smooth. So rough would be attached, smooth will be no attachments. Rough ER receives and transports synthesis proteins from ribosomes, and Smooth ER synthesizes lipids and certain carbohydrates. The Golgi apparatus is a stack of flattened membranous sacs, and it chemically processes and then packages substances from the ER. So I would say the Golgi apparatus is like the post office. They're going to chemically process stuff, and then they're going to package it and send it out. Mitochondria are, uh, is a membranous capsule containing a large folded internal membrane encrusted with enzymes. ATP synthesis um, and a cell's power, it's called a cell power plant or a battery charger. But ATP synthesis is where uh, this happens. So a lysosome is a bubble of hydrolysis enzymes encased by a membrane. A cell's digestive bag and it breaks apart large molecules. The centrosome is an area near the uh, nucleus without a visible boundary, and it contains centrioles and organized microtubules of the cytoskeletons, and that's at the top of page 42. Microvilli are tiny cell surface extensions supported by, internally by microfilaments. They increase surface area of the plasma membrane for efficiency of absorption. So you think about it, if you've got a lot of ridges, um, it's got more surface area. Alright, so cilia is hair-like cell surface extension supported by an internal cylinder made of microtubules longer than microvilli. These are sensory antennas used to detect conditions outside of the cell, and some cilia also move substances over the surface of the cell. Uh, flagellum. As a long whip-like projection of the sperm, similar to celium, but much longer. And the only example in humans is the tail of a sperm cell, and it's used to propel it through fluid, so to just make it go faster. The nucleus is a double membrane, spherical envelope containing DNA strings. This, I would say, is one of the most important parts of the cell. It contains DNA, which dictates protein synthesis, thereby playing an essential role in other cell activities such as transport, metabolism, growth, heredity. Um, You are nothing without DNA. Uh, Nucleolus is a dense dense region of the nucleus and it makes subunits that form ribosomes. Okay, so we made it through the table and I'm going to roll over to page 44. And, oh, I don't want to skip over this part. Apoptosis, we did talk about this in class. This is cell suicide. It's when a cell dies off and makes space for newer cells. And if this does not occur normally, then a cell may stay causing overgrowth of tissue and possibly a tumor. So if your cells aren't dying off like they're supposed to, so new ones can come in, they're going to kind of stick around and maybe get bigger. And that's usually a tumor. Sometimes they can be benign. Sometimes they can be malignant. Just depends on what's going on inside. So now a relationship of a cell Of cell structure and function under that, the main part that I saw was every human cell in the body performs a certain function and some maintain the cell's survival and some maintain the body's survival. So that's important to know. Um, Now at the bottom of page 45, I'm sorry, the top of page 46, movement of substances through cell membranes. So the plasma membrane permits certain substances to pass through and allows others to leave. And molecules of water, nutrients, and gases, wastes, and many other substances stream in and out of cells in endless procession. This is happening all the time. Um, so the important thing to know about this is how those things are getting out. And that's what we're going to move over to active and passive transport In passive transport processes, no cellular energy is required to move substances. And in active transport processes, cellular energy is required to move. So active, you literally have to have action. Passive, it's going to pass. There's not a lot of, there's no um, energy required. Okay, I'm still on page four. Um, So going on to passive transport processes, there are four ways that this can happen, and that's through diffusion, dialysis, osmosis, or filtration. And I know we've probably heard a lot of these um, terms before. So diffusion is a good example of a passive transport process, which substances scatter themselves evenly throughout an available space, and this is usually because of a tendency to spread out and create a uniform concentration or equilibrium. So they're going to go from an area of high concentration to an area of lower concentration. And the example that they have in here was pretty good. Um, If you're trying to pour a cup of coffee or tea, it says to place some sugar on a teaspoon and lower it into the bottom of the cup gently. Let it stand for two or three minutes and then holding the cup steady, take a sip off of the top. It will taste sweet because the sugar molecules will have diffused from the area of high concentration near the mound of sugar at the bottom to the cup. To an area of low concentration at the top of the cup which means it's sweetening sweetening the entire solution the way that i like to think of diffusion is a fart that is literally the only thing that has gotten me through every test with this question on it because you know that if you try to pass gas in a room quietly it's going to fill up every other space in there and everybody else is going to smell it so it's going from a high concentration or to a lower concentration because of equilibrium this is an example of diffusion. It's going to spread out. You're welcome. Okay, so the key to diffusion across a membrane is the presence of pores big enough for smaller particles to pass through, such as a membrane called a semi permeable membrane. Permeability refers to the ability of a mermaid, mer, membrane to allow substances to pass through it. So, semi permeable. Semi-permeability, excuse me, implies that some substances can pass and those small enough to fit through the pores, but other larger particles cannot pass. Um, without specific membrane transporters, most solutes or substances dissolved in water could not diffuse through the cells. Um, let's see. I'm going to go over to dialysis. I'm at the top of page 48. Uh, we all have heard of dialysis before, so in the process called dialysis, Some solutes move across a semi-permeable membrane by diffusion, and others do not. So dialysis results in an uneven distribution of various solutes, and it's often used as a medical procedure to safely clean the blood of waste. So it's similar to diffusion, except for it's not going to disperse evenly. Okay, I'm going to go over to osmosis. It is a special case of passive transport and is in many ways similar to diffusion, but is thought to involve unique mechanisms at the pores of cell membranes. So osmosis is the passive movement of water molecules through channels in a selectively permeable membrane. When some of the solute cannot cross the membrane because there is no open channels or carriers for that solute. And osmosis because water moves into a space but there is no exchange of solutes. A change in a fluid pressure may result in such fluid pressure is called osmotic pressure. Okay, Uh, filtration is the movement of water and solutes through a membrane and as a result of a pushing force that is greater on one side of the membrane than on the other. Uh, this is called hydrostatic pressure, which is simply the force of weight or fluid pushing against some surface. An example would be blood pressure. So a principle concerning filtration that is of great physical physiological importance is that it always occurs down a hydrostatic pressure gradient. Um, filtration is partly responsible for moving water and small solutes from blood into the fluid spaces of the body's tissues. It's responsible for urine formation in the kidneys and It can be considered a passive process, okay? So now we're going to move on to active transport processes, and this is on page 49 to the right-hand side. So active transport usually involves the uphill movement of a substance through a living membrane. So when you think active transport, think you're walking up a hill. And it's going to take a lot of energy. You're going to have to be very active to get up that hill. So it's going to be up a concentration gradient. The energy required for this movement is obtained from ATP. Because the formation and breakdown of ATP requires uh, complex cellular activity, active transport mechanisms can only take place through living membranes. Okay, moving down to ion pumps. The complex membrane component, called the ion pump, makes possible a number of active transport mechanisms. A ion pump is an example of a protein structure in the cell membrane called the carrier. Um, pump is an appropriate term because it suggests an active transport moves the substance in an uphill direction, just as a water pump, for example, moves water uphill. An ion pump is specific to one particular kind of ion, so you could have a, a sodium pump would move sodium ions just like calcium pumps would move calcium ions and some ion pumps are coupled to one another so that two or more different substances can be moved through the cell membrane at one time for example sodium potassium pump some ion pumps are coupled with other specific carriers that transport glucose amino acid and other substances however there are no transporter pumps for moving water water can only be passively moved through osmosis okay so now i'm going to move down to phagocytosis Phagocytosis comes from parts of words, meaning process of cell eating. So certain white blood cells can use phagocytosis to destroy invading bacteria and chunks of debris from tissue damage. Once inside the cytoplasm, the phagocytic vesicle fuses with lysosomes containing digestive enzymes and the particles are broken down so in this process the cytoskeleton it actually extends the cell's plasma membrane to form a pocket around the particles to be moved into the cell and encloses it inside of the vesicle moving it uh, deeper into the cell so it kind of like reaches out hugs it pulls it in and it's going to eat it so, pinocytosis is an active transport mechanism used to incorporate fluids or dissolve substances into cells by trapping them in a pocket of plasma membrane. It pinches off into the cell to form a vesicle. So, the term that uh, this refers to, penocytosis comes from the Greek word to drink because the cytoskeleton uses energy from ATP to produce the movements of pinocytosis and phagocytosis. These processes are active transport mechanisms. So the difference between phagocytosis and pinocytosis is that uh, phagocytosis is considered eating. pino is considered um, drinking and they are actually going to, um, they're both going to kind of reach out and hug, but, the pinocytosis is going to create a vesicle, um, form a vesicle when it pulls inside. So now I'm going to go on to cell growth and reproduction. So the two nucleic acids Um, play crucial roles in directing protein synthesis in a cell, and that's DNA and RNA. So, under deoxyribose nucleic acid, you have chromosomes, which are composed largely of DNA, contain the information needed to make all the proteins of the cells, the information that allows the cell to live and function normally. The genetic code, which is contained in segments of the DNA molecule, are genes. Let's see. I'm going to roll over to page 52. So, You have a table three, four. I would know table three, four. This is the components of nucleotides. So they're almost identical for the exception of one um, nitrogen base. It's going to be different. One for DNA is different than RNA. So the nucleotide um, for DNA is going to be sugar, which is deoxyribose, the phosphate, phosphate, nitrogen base, cytosine, guanine, adenine, and thymine. And for RNA, it's going to be the sugar ribose, phosphate, phosphate, nitrogen base cytosine, guanine, adenine, and uracil rather than thymine. So this is called complementary base pairing, when um, two will always always pair to one another. So adenine will always uh, bind to thymine, and cytosine will always bind to guanine. Um, and a gene is a specific segment of pairs in a chromosome. Um, this fact has tremendous functional importance because it is a sequence of base pairs in a gene of a, co- of a chromosome that determines the genetic code. So the enzymes and other functional molecules produced by protein synthesis facilitate and regulate cellular chemical reactions that drive all functions of the cells and thereby all functions of the body. And there's 46 nuclear chromosomes and one kind of micro- mitochondrial chromosome in each body cell. That's a lot. Um, DNA has a um, content of genetic information totaling about 3 billion base pairs in almost 19,000 or so uh, protein-coding genes. So that's over a billion bits of information that is inherited from your two biological parents. Okay, now we're going to roll into uh, ribonucleic acid. This is the genetic information contained in protein coding genes and is capable of directing the synthesis of specific proteins. Instead of containing information, uh, they instead contain information needed to build regulatory types of RNA molecules. So our RNA is ribosomal ribonucleic acid, and this holds a temporary working copy of genetic code, which is going to be explained over in protein synthesis. This is an actual process. The actual process of protein synthesis occurs at free and attached ribosomes in the cytoplasm. So, it do not look like they serve such a big purpose, but they are very important. So, on page 53, protein synthesis. This is the process of transferring genetic information from the nucleus to the cytoplasm where proteins are actually produced, and it requires completion of two steps, transcription and translation. These are good, a little bit confusing, um, but they're really not that bad. So, let's see if we can break it down um, easily. So, during transcription, um, the complementary bases that hold two strands of the DNA molecule together begin to separate or unwind along the section of the molecule, and this serves as a template form for mRNA, which is messenger RNA, and the newly formed mRNA now contains a duplicate or a copy of a particular gene sequence from DNA. Messenger RNA is thus transcribed or copied. So transcription we're going to think copy um it's going to come in and it's going to cheat it's going to copy something Okay, and then we're going to move down to translation. This is a process of literally translating the genetic code and mRNA transcript to synthesize protein. So ribosomes move along the mRNA transcript and read that information encoded in the base sequences to direct the choice and sequencing of appropriate chemical building blocks of proteins of amino acids. Um, so as you can see, I would look on page 53 and I would also um, YouTube this. There's been a couple videos that have been really helpful if you can't understand this because. Sometimes it's hard to understand a photo. It's easier to understand if it's in a video. So transfer RNA molecules assist the process by bringing specific amino acids to dock at each codon along the mRNA strand. So the codon is, okay, if you're looking on page 53, it's going to be towards the right, kind of in the middle of the um, middle of the page a little bit. And they're just going to kind of take it as a docking station so that they can um, stop and bring specific amino acids there. And a codon is a series of three nucleotide bases, or a triplet, that acts as a code representing a specific amino acid. Okay, now I'm going to go on to cell reproduction, cell life cycle. It involves the division of a cell in two genetically identical daughter cells. And this has always been a little bit confusing to me, but then the older I got, it made more sense. And it's actually pretty cool to think that your body is doing this all the time and you're not having to prompt it to do it. And this is what's keeping you alive. So this is the division of the nucleus, and it's called mitosis, and um, and it's the division of the cytoplasm as well. So DNA molecules are somewhat unusual in that unlike most molecules in nature, they can make identical copies of themselves, and this is DNA replication. So I'm going to just uh, start over here um, on page 55 at number one in the picture. So interphase is... Cell growth, it's a replication of chromosomes, and they're not actively dividing. Most cells spend their lifetime in interphase, okay? Moving to prophase, the chromatin condenses into visible chromosomes, and then chromatids become attached to the centromere, spindle fibers appear, and the nucleus and nuclear uh, envelope disappear, Okay, metaphase, the spindle fibers attach to each chromatid and chromosomes align across the center of the cell. So I think metaphase, middle, they're in the middle now. Anaphase, um, centromeres break apart, chromosomes move away from the center of the cell, and a cleavage furrow appears. So anaphase apart, there's going to be a cleavage furrow. Okay, Um, telophase, I think two. So telophase is the last step. Number 5 the nuclear envelope and both nuclei appear the cytoplasm and organelles divide equally and the process of cell division is completed so telophase 2 interphase think i live here i'm here interphase i i'm going to spend most of my life here so prophase um they're kind of prepping they're getting ready you're having your chromatids become attached to the centromere. Spindle fibers are appearing and the nucleus and nuclear envelope are going to disappear. Metaphase, they're lined in the middle. Anaphase, um, they're going to split apart. And in telophase, you finally have two. Okay. Going over to page 56. So the result of cell division um, is that the cells differentiate. And in the adult, mitosis takes place in cells that have become less functional with age or become damaged or destroyed by illness or injury. And if the body loses its ability to control the life cell cycle or cell life cycle, cell growth, reproduction, differentiation, and death, an abnormal mass of proliferating cells develops. This mass is neoplasm. Neoplasms can be relatively harmless growths called benign tumors, or they could be dangerous and malignant cancer growths. So that's the end of this chapter, three cells. I do suggest going to the back and checking out the summary and definitely going through review questions, critical thinking, and the chapter test at the end of the test. So, all right, good luck.